It's your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hands off the minute, hit the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation, this is the KLIN Husker Hour. Right three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. Sunset, got it! Thunderdog, and then one! Exclamation point! Now your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholz and KLIN reporter Matt McMaster. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to another edition of the KLIN Husker Hour. Nebraska football will be played this month, people. This month. Were we not? I guess last episode was in the month of July. We're still in July. It's August, baby. 26 days. It's August. This time next week, we'll have, like, soccer to talk about, too, that we won't actually talk about. What What soccer? Premier League soccer. Who cares? Uh, hey, uh, did you know that your Kansas City Royals are the hottest team in baseball right Second, now? Second. Well... They have won seven straight. They have was, not lost. I was going to say, well, I was going to the Cubs. There you go. I was going to say, there's there might be a, a team that's a little bit hotter in, in a place called Wrigleyville in Chicago, Illinois. But after they got their uh, brakes blown off yesterday by the uh, Atlanta Braves, mm. who might be like the greatest baseball team in the last ten years. Um, yeah, I don't know if that that holds true anymore. I mean, what 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 do the Royals stand to gain off a seven game win streak? You know, it's just more people go to Kauffman Stadium. The capacity goes from six thousand to seven thousand. My respect. Yeah, is it? My respect. There's yeah. a lot to talk about. Yeah. Hey, and and speaking of soccer, who says American sports don't have relegation? Because I'm pretty sure there are four Pac-12 teams that just got relegated yesterday. Yeah. With the conference. We can get into that later. I mean, if, realignment madness. I, I know this is, once again, I feel like I always say this. Nebraska podcast, Nebraska radio show. Yes. Talk about Nebraska. Yeah. I feel like we could do a whole radio show, though, on this specific conference realignment. And I think I was reading a good article in The Athletic yesterday, and it, it detailed the. There are shifts, there's always shifts. In conference realignment, there's always times where it just seems like you know, back in the whenever the Southwest Conference turned into the into the Big Eight or the Big Twelve or whatever, and then you had in 2010 with you know Nebraska and Maryland and, and Rutgers, and like you kind of had that shift. And there have always been teams who go to different conferences, but then there was also like this dead period for a very long time where it's like, okay, this is what we're going to work with. Like the SEC is the SEC, and the Big Twelve is the Big Twelve, and now you got this other shift in conference realignment, which isn't uncommon, but contrary to past conference realignments, this destroyed a Power 5 conference. I mean, killed it. And Pac-12, man, it's, I mean, it just goes to show how important TV is. I mean, that that's kind of the name of the game, isn't it now? I mean, just money and TV, and how can you distribute distribute your product? How much money can you get? It's kind of the name of the game, and frankly, to think for Big Ten teams to think that they're in the clear now, that oh, we're all good to go. I don't know. Give it eight more years, and we'll see. I mean, what's more likely? The Big Ten goes to twenty-four teams or thirty-two teams, or they start dropping teams. What? Well, we we can get into what's more. Sure. Likely. I, I don't sure. know that I. I mean, 
I don't know they go that big, but there may be some other who's to stop some them? other way of of the growth. Ultimately, I think just just real quick, I think ultimately there's going to be some sort of reckoning in college football to where they're going to get everybody together on the football side to I don't know how the scheduling model would work, but there essentially won't be like the conferences as we know them in football, but the rest of the sports can maybe someday get back to more of a regional setup, like the old, like the conferences in the 90s. Are you a fan? Of? Washington, Oregon, UCLA, USC. All now Big Ten teams, quote unquote. I think USC and UCLA make more sense from a brand perspective than Oregon and Washington. Even though Oregon and Washington have both made the playoff since the playoff has come into existence in 2014. I just, I just, I mean, logistically, I just don't know how you make it work. Sure. To the point where it isn't just a cluster, every single sport, every single Oh hey, we're taking our West Coast trip this you know this next couple weeks. So sure. all of our classes are remote. We're going to be staying in some hotel in Eugene. Yeah, like yeah. they're going to have to do that. Oh, they are. Rutgers, I don't think they. Maryland, Penn. I don't think they thought that through for no, sure. No, I, maybe they did, and and they just had to. Do they didn't it. care. There's there's a couple of things that had that happened with the realignment stuff. Number one, you said the money and the TV, obviously. But it's that line from Spaceballs. Have you seen Spaceballs? I have. All right. You know the the line where where Lone Star is talking to Barf, and he's like, "We're not doing this for the money." And Barf looks at him weird. He says, "We're doing it for a load of money." <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. that's what this is all about. Number yeah. one. Yeah. Number two. Oregon and Washington absolutely had to do this. Oh, I don't because yeah because imagine a world where. Texas and friends took off for the Pac-12 in 2010, and Nebraska didn't proactively get to the Big Ten, and then that whole deal falls through for them, and Nebraska's left out in the cold. Just from their perspective, they had to do it. From the Big Ten's perspective, you you are at a point now where you have a little bit of a diminishing return, because I don't think sure. the TV... I don't think the TV deal got reworked. I, they just have a lesser share until the next deal comes around. They did. They did say, though, I remember when I was reading the deal some odd months ago that they had structured it so there was room to fit teams in. But, right, but, but are the networks giving but them more not, money? No, 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 That's, no. I don't. Yeah. I, I think they're. I read fifty to sixty percent of what other teams are making. Right. Right. But that. Fifty to sixty percent for Oregon and Washington is way more than is what going to get is going to get cut out of the other. Sure, 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 sure. That's sure, my point. Sure. So if you are adding teams right now as the Big Ten, short of Notre Dame, you're going to have diminishing returns for the for the original quote unquote original sixteen from this yeah. media deal that they just signed. That includes USC and UCLA because they were sure, part of sure, 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 sure. So if if you're big if you're the Big Ten. And you're trying to do this strategically. You're you're weighing: Do you want the brands, as opposed to letting somebody else get those brands, possibly, and let the Big Twelve get the the Oregon and Washington football brands? Is that is that risk of of losing those brands? Does that outweigh the the a little bit of a lost revenue for each school? Well, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it clearly it's, doesn't it's, to them because at they, this they point, did it. the money and it's a s load of money. It it probably doesn't make a difference, but that's what they weighed. 
I think the Big Ten thought about it enough, and and there's plenty of stories out there where you can see that they actually tried to do this last year with Oregon and Washington, didn't pull the trigger, but now that the Pac-12 is literally dying in front of us, they're, they're, they're I mean, yeah. they, they were just to the point where they had to do it to grab them up because they didn't want somebody else to have them, and, and, and you can... You can make something of a West Coast. I understand why they alignment. did it. I understand why they did it. They kind of had to do it. it, it all of this kind of just stems from the fear of the SEC. Yeah. I mean, and some people may not be happy to hear that because, well, we're better than the SEC and there's some contentiousness between Big Ten fans and SEC fans for whatever reasons. But the Big Ten was, is, does not want to be overstepped by the SEC and they don't want the SEC to be this superpower conference and they're just second to them and I think that a lot of times that the Big Ten has been looked at as a second conference to the SEC now that you add the four best teams or three of the four best teams from the Pac-12 with USC, Washington, Oregon that that's no longer the case but uh, look I'll say this first off if you think that the Big Ten cared about you know, Joey and, and Max's and Grace's classes when they're out doing their West Coast trip. I mean, that they just, they just, you're absolutely right. They did it for the money. But there was a regionality to college football. Some would argue that's what makes college football college football, right? You have, I, I care about the NFC North. You care about the AFC uh, West. West. But it's like, you know, those are four teams. We care about the Big Ten. We care about the Midwest slash, you know, some East Coast teams with Rutgers and Maryland. That's the, it's the big Midwest conference, though. It's the big conference that you know people who go to Penn State or in Iowa and Michigan and Michigan State. I know people who go to those same schools. We have those connections to our schools like those people. It's like there's kind of like regional uh, football, this big regional football conference that you can have pride about where you go and then also you can relate to the people who are around you because there are a lot of people around you who go to those other places and it just it just creates this great environment that pro sports can't create mm. because pro sports is so spread out, right? You only have four teams in the NFC North that really surround that region. You only have four teams in the NFC East that surround that region, right, that you really care about. You don't care about the AFC if you're an NFC fan. You don't care about the NFC if you're an AFC fan. And if you're a Big Ten fan, which I am, which you are, which we care about, we care about the Big Ten, this, to me, USC, Oregon, UCLA, um, and Washington is like the NFC West, or it's the NL West now. It's Whereas, almost like the AFC West for you, or the NFC West. Well, for me. well, I, no, I would say that you're st it's still they're still in the conference, and it still matters what they do. But I don't give a damn about the Dodgers until we play them in the NLDS. Sure, you know, I sure. don't care what the Diamondbacks are doing until you know we we got to play them in a wild card game, right? Yeah. And so, like, I feel with the adding of USC, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA, it's like I don't really care about them. Until okay, now we got to go out and we got to play, you know, eleven and two Washington in order to get to the Big Ten championship game, or we got to do this, and it's just, it just feels so disconnected now. And it's like I like to come up here and talk about things that are like facts and like relate statistics with them, and it's like none of this I can do because it's just feeling. But the conference just feels disconnected, and that's not what college sports is. Yep. It's why you have 
the Southeastern Conference because the South teams play there. And it's why you have the Big 12 Conference because the Southwest teams play there, right? And it's why you have the Pac-12, so the West teams, and the ACC, so the East Coast teams. It's like now it's there are more teams in the Big 10 than there are in the AFC. Yeah. I'm So it's like... And now we're paying, and then look, I like that we're, I like NIL, I like that you're paying players, but I, I, I read a tweet yesterday, I think it was from uh, Barstool Chief, who basically said, college football is just becoming minor league NFL football. And that's never, it's never been that. It's never, it never was supposed to be that. It wasn't supposed to be that, but college, it's been that at a few schools. For yeah, a while. but college, college has always been different. There's always been things that had made them unique. Yeah. Even down to like the rules. There were even rules that were different in college that were different in the NFL. And it was like, that's what makes it college football. And now those rules are gone. Like they've even replaced those rules to make it more similar to the NFL. So it's just like, I don't know. I think that college football had always been an incredible, the only alternative to NFL football that worked. Think about that. The XFL didn't work. The USFL didn't work. I mean, they're there, but it's like you know, you're not rooting for the St. Louis Battlehawks or anything like that religiously or, or, or up to that standard. So it's just like it just there's a there's a disconnect now, and I don't like that. I don't like there's a there's just a feeling of disconnect. I feel like the Big Ten now has has regions and it's like you don't think Florida State is gonna get out if they get out of the ACC, the Big Ten's gonna be right there and be like, Hey, let's go. You think Miami gets mad too and they're like, Well, if Florida State's gone, then we're gone. Big Ten or the SEC will be right there. And as soon as these teams start looking at greener pastures, which are the Big Ten and the SEC, eventually you're just going to get down to two 24-team conferences, and just you might as well call it the NFC and the AFC. Also, real quick, from a logistics standpoint, I'll read you some records from last year. Michigan finished 13 and 0. Ohio State finished 11 and 1. USC finished 11. USC finished 11 and 1. Washington, Penn State, and Oregon all finished 10 and 2 last season. It's going to make a big headache for that tiebreaker to get into the Big Ten championship game. Because you know, I, I'm going to tell you right now, there are going to be times when maybe three or four teams are have the same record and are tied for second place to make it to the Big Ten championship game. And that's going to be a pain to be like, all right, you're the team that gets in and the other three teams can go kick rocks. Yeah, That's another thing too. But it's just like, I, I just feel like Big Ten's got an NOS now. And I don't, that's yeah. not what it's supposed to be. Yeah, you're right. It's not. Uh, last thing on this, and then we got to get to our break. Uh, we are going to be joined by Evan Bland, the best the Omaha World Herald here next. Uh, we've also got our quarterback preview to finish up position previews for the summer. Uh, last thing on this, it's it's so funny. Like last week, two weeks ago, I don't know, remember how long ago we were in here talking about NIL and how all of the the athletic directors at media days and presidents and chancellors and and people in places of power at these universities and in these sports. They're talking about, oh my gosh, we got to get a handle on this NIL. It's going to get out of control. The hypocrisy about this with the schools who are just going out and ending centuries-old rivalries oh, yeah. by snatching schools up out of other conferences. Where's the regulation but, on doing stuff like that, which is far more harmful, is far more harmful, like exponentially well, more harmful well, what, than giving players who are bringing the revenue into these schools 
Money. Yeah, the the players are a problem when they're making money, but the executives aren't when they are. And then now you got to think about the athletes at yeah. uh, Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal, who are all kind of just sitting there now, not knowing if they can call themselves Power Five athletes anymore. They don't even know what conference they're going to be able to compete in in the next year. I mean, Stanford not being a Power Five conference to me would be wild, considering how good that athletic program is, and just in total how it's run. I mean, it's it's. I don't know. They kind of they kind of missed out, I guess. Yeah, they did. Hey, your your favorite quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Cal. No, he's not. He's he's not a Power care. Five quarterback. Stop. Anymore. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about him on the show. <laughs> Some guy we are going to talk to on the show, uh, Evan Bland. He joins us next year on the KLI and Husker Hour. Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. 26 days from Nebraska, Minnesota. We're getting closer and closer all the time, and the guy who's always got his finger on the pulse of Husker football is Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald. He joins us now. Evan, how are you today? Hey, doing well. Uh, happy Saturday morning, one week of fall camp. Yes. Hey, uh, before we get into Husker football, give us your 30-second take on realignment, Nebraska-related or otherwise. You know, honestly, I'm just kind of sad. Like it's the end of an era. Uh, the Pac-12 it had its place in college football. You know, I, I understand that it was mismanaged. That it's uh, its schools, you know, had their chances over over the years. Um, but I just feel bad for the fans, man. I, I know, um, you know, they, they deserve better than what they got. And I know there's sort of the stereotype that they're, uh, you know, apathetic about football and whatnot, but. Um, I don't know uh, where we're going in a lot of ways doesn't make a lot of sense. I think it's reflective of the fact that there's really no single leader in college football and college athletics. It's a bunch of schools and conferences looking out for their own interests. And unfortunately, um, I, when that's the case, you get instances like Friday, which totally reshaped the landscape uh, as we've known it for a long time. Evan, Matt here. Uh, I know you'll be at the Matt Rule press conference today in about an hour. I'll be there as well. I got a little question for you. Over under two and a half questions uh, on conference realignment to Coach Rule. What are you taking? <laughs> the over or the under? Uh, that's a good one. That's a good line because uh, there's going to be a question. There'll be a follow up question. Yeah, and then it, it's a matter of whether there's a third angle. I, you know, I think I'll yeah. take the under because I Ooh. think he's going to be focused on this team and. He doesn't have West Coast roots, so I don't know that you can kind of get into some of the personal stuff. So I'll take the under, but I think that's a good line. I'm going to make sure that I alert the gambling authorities. You two can really <laughs> influence how this thing goes. Well, we could. Here's the thing. I, Evan, in credit, I, you're kind of beating around the bush here, but I, I do think he's going to get one question and then kind of just shoot it down. And then I think people might be like, all right, I guess we're not going to ask Matt that question anymore. How's Gabe Irvin looking? You know, that's probably, probably where it's going to go. Yeah. But... Uh, Evan, I'll kind of start you off here. One week of fall camp, you've been to all these these press conferences. You've you've heard a lot. You've you've seen a lot. You've written a lot. Uh, what's your major takeaway? What's your first big takeaway from the first week of uh, the kind of the beginning of of this football season? You know, I would say, and and maybe it's sort of uh, abstract, I suppose, but just the 
the culture that has been set in by the staff, I think, has been evident. And you can see it in a lot of ways. You can see it in the split practices that they've had and, and sort of the rave reviews that that's had. And I think you've seen it in some of the changes that they've had to make, whether that's replacing Bob Wager with Josh Martin as the tight ends coach, whether that's, uh, you know, watching Miles Farmer go into the transfer portal after being a starting safety for a year and a half. I think you just sort of see, uh, you know, it, that th- this is the culture. This is what this team has. And like when guys don't live up to the standard, um, that's, you know, th- they move on. And, and like, I felt like maybe in the last couple of years, if, Moves like what we saw this last week had occurred. It would have felt maybe like a bigger deal, but it just kind of felt like, okay, you know, they made their decisions. It was what it was. And now we've returned our focus to sort of the greater good and what football is all about. And so I think that's, that is, I think it's a testament to uh, the standard that Matt Rule has set, the, the, the clearly communicating of expectations. And so like when you, when you don't meet those, like there's no surprises, nobody's confused, nobody's deceived. Uh, it just kind of is what it is. It just felt more mature, like, okay, these things do happen. Um, and I also would say I appreciate Matt Rule clearly putting it out there, you know, saying, hey, Josh Fleeks, the receiver, hasn't been here because he's been overweight. And they sent him home to to get back to where he wants to be. Like there was no sort of innuendo or um you know, beating around the bush on sure. that. Like you just say what it is, you move on, you respect everybody for who they are. And I think that through one week has been something that stood out to where it's just been very professional, very matter of fact, even though things maybe haven't gone perfectly. Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald joining us here on the K-Line Husker Hour. Uh, with with how you've been able to be, you know, at some of the early portions of practice as well as at the, the post-practice availability with some of the coaches and players, what have you seen or heard that's kind of stuck out to you so far? Well, it's been fun to hear from, you know, a number of different players and, um, you know, I I don't know that there's any been, there's been one kind of thing that's, that's, that's blown me away. It's been, I think it's been kind of cool to see some of these guys who have been in reserve roles, stepping into bigger uh, positions of prominence on the team. I mean, you see guys like Blaze Gunnarsson out there, who's been sort of a, uh, you know, back up and, and he, you can tell like he's taken greater ownership of his role in the defense and what that could be. Uh, Gabe Irvin, I think is another example, a guy who was hurt most of 2021 with that ACL, didn't get a ton of touches last year, like 20. Um, and now you see him and he looks, I mean, his body looks transformed. He looks like a guy who can go out there and maybe own some fourth quarters for Nebraska. And, and you can tell he's taking ownership as well about like what his role could be even in a room with some older guys like Anthony Grant, Ramir Johnson. Um, so I, I suppose that's kind of what it is. It's just been kind of hearing from some of those individual guys, Ruquan Buckley on the defensive line is somebody who yeah. <clears throat> has, has kind of been off the radar for a couple of years as he's gone through the nutrition and the the strength training within the program. And now it looks like he's ready to contribute. And then, you know, I think the coaches have been pretty insightful too. I'll be especially interested defensively to see what this next few weeks looks like for Tony White's group. And and he kind of laid it out there too. Like, look, right now, uh, it's still about throwing a bunch of install at them. Let's see what they can handle. Then we'll start pairing it back. They're still not really even to the point of establishing a depth chart right now. It's just about doing things how they want the staff, uh, how they want the players to do them. Um, you know, and then in a couple of weeks, you start um, maybe making some more player personnel specific decisions for the Minnesota game. So 
uh, I just think it's been interesting kind of hearing from people with their off season, how their bodies have reshaped, uh, how maybe some of that, that culture piece has set in with some of the players who are returning. Um, and now again, who knows how that translates to wins and losses, but it just feels like guys are moving with sort of a unified purpose, the likes of which we haven't seen around here in quite a while. Evan, you've been around more football seasons than I have, so I'll kind of ask you this little interesting question here. The thing that I notice going to these press conferences, and you kind of touched on it just a little bit, is these guys look lean. I mean, a lot of these guys look a lot different than what we saw them at the end of last year. Nash Hutmacher looks different. Gunnarsson looks different. Wuquan Buckley looks different. Even Ramir Johnson bulked up a little bit. Do you, how much stock do you put into that? Is that, a, is that a big deal for you? Is that something that you think can translate to anything? Is, it, is that something that maybe you, or, or maybe is that a little blown up? Is that not as important at people as people might think it is? Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing to discern because I do think no matter what level you're talking, if you're talking high school, if you're talking college, professional, if you're coming into a season and you're talking to some of the leaders on, on whatever team, they're going to tell you that they're bigger, faster, and stronger than they've ever been, right? Yeah. Like that's just kind of how it goes. That's that's the natural rhythm of things. So I think you have to discount that piece a little bit. What I'm interested in and what I think maybe bears watching is uh, more of an emphasis on mobility. And a couple of the players touched on it, even I think one of the coaches this week about uh, maybe you trade a little bit of sort of that um, – that bulkiness for a little bit more mobility. And and when you have it in a three, three, five, like that's kind of the point is like, you, yeah. you have a number of players who, when they're on the field, you don't know exactly what their role is. So you look at a guy like an MJ Sherman or a chief borders who can edge rush, who can, you know, come into the trenches and stop the run, or they can drop back and maybe defend a, a tight end or a slot receiver over the middle. You can't do that if you're, you know, on the heavier end of a linebacker, you just can't do that as well. So I, I do think that they're emphasizing uh, the ability to move around a little bit more, certainly on the defensive line. I mean, for the most part, it does look like a lot of players have, have slimmed down a little bit or they've added weight, but it's been a little bit uh, of the better weight. You know, you're adding muscle and, and trading off some fat and things like that. So I, I think that's sort of the idea is if you're in a three three five that can go into multiple formations that can move players around to where you don't really know what they are. Hey, he's a, a Jack, which is a, a lineman yeah. linebacker, or, Hey, he's a Rover, a safety linebacker. Uh, you have to be able to move around and accommodate for those different positions. So that's what I'll be most interested in seeing is how that translates into a game. A couple more minutes here with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. Uh, we're doing our last position preview of the offseason today. It's quarterbacks. And uh, with Jeff Sims, we, we see that he's got pretty good size, Seems to have the respect of his teammates. Played well enough in the spring game. I don't know that we really know like specifically what to expect, whether it's statistically, stylistically. What are you expecting from Jeff Sims this season? Well, you know, I think he's really an embodiment of sort of Nebraska, the outlook on Nebraska in general because – you know, people can, can, can see this team and say, Hey, you know, they could contend for the West conceivably. They could finish fifth and fifth or sixth in the division if things don't go well. And I think a lot of that comes from a guy like Sims, who we've seen at Georgia Tech when he was sort of, uh, on, on a team that was undermanned offensively. Uh, he was somebody who could make things happen, certainly with his legs. He has a big arm and can make things happen there as well. Uh, but you also see, 
and and this was something Nebraska challenged him with in the offseason is turnovers. And uh, I, I think he's accounted for like 41 touchdowns in his career and 31 giveaways, whether that's fumbles lost or interceptions. And so I think that's he's really uh, just a, a good sort of manifestation of like, wow, there's a big range here, like the, the potential and the ceiling is high. Uh, but you hope that maybe some of the other stuff gets cleaned up a little bit. And I think, and he, and he said this at Big Ten Media Days, that the way that Nebraska wants to operate its offense will help him cut down on those turnovers, uh, complete passes at a little bit of a higher percentage, because he'll be in more of this pro-style sort of system uh, where he's not going to be needed to to run the ball consistently, where he's not going to have to kind of scramble around and create things on his own, but hopefully there'll be receivers who can, uh, you know, get open and, and do their part as well. So I think all that works in his favor. And I would say, you know, the intangibles with him are notable too. I mean, in this century, Nebraska's had quarterbacks who were talented, who maybe just didn't connect well with players all the time, or maybe they were uncomfortable in the spotlight that being the Nebraska quarterback sort of puts out there. But uh, by all accounts and talking with him in Indianapolis, like he's comfortable with it. He'll talk to fans. He likes to huddle to encourage his guys. I mean, just the fact that he was a team representative after being on campus for just, a, you know, six, seven, eight months, I think uh, really shows kind of how his impact quickly into the program. So, you know, you put all those pieces together and, and again, who, who knows how this translates into the fall, but it does feel like he has all the pieces that are there for Nebraska to uh, be able to move the ball and, and again, kind of work toward that bowl eligibility this season. Evan, that wasn't, we, we didn't want that intuitive and incredibly smart answer. We wanted you to say 50 touchdowns, three interceptions, <laughs> almost, I mean, just a perfect season, Heisman, Heisman Trophy season. That's what we wanted. We didn't want that. I mean, we, we didn't want intelligence there. Come on, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he's good. He'll yeah. be fun. Woot. <laughs> There it is. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, this is uh, another betting line, but one you can't influence. Over under 12.5 carries per game for Jeff Sims this season. Oh! I I would think that that would be – I would take the under on that. Yeah, and I think I hope, 12 is a little high. I think for Nebraska, they would hope that he takes the under on that. And that's not to say they don't want him to run because he will run. And Matt Rule said last week again, like, you try to – uh, maximize your spots with the quarterback run game. Like you want that on a key third and four, or you want that in the red zone. You don't necessarily want that early on downs when you, when your guy's taking a beating. Now, what's interesting is you can say that in July, but again, sure. when, if you get into a spot in a game in the third quarter where your running back can't find a hole or your line's not getting a push, how tempted will you be to go to that quarterback run game? We saw that a lot under Scott Frost with Adrian Martinez, where they they went to that too much and guys got hurt and it exposes your team to turnovers and all the rest. So, uh, you know, we'll see how disciplined that they can be with that, how how much the offensive line and the other running backs can do their part to alleviate that. So I, I think he will run some. But, man, there's just a cautionary tale out there that if you if you're running your quarterback 12 times a game, there's a pretty good chance that at some point he's going to take a hit and he's going to get hurt and get banged up into the second half of the season. And I think you look at Nebraska's quarterback depth and you just, you're not, you're not loving uh, maybe the prospect of having to go to your number two or three because their mm -hmm. skill sets are different than what Jeff Sims can bring. So I'm taking the under 
Uh, and I would hope that Nebraska, uh, would, would be hitting well under that, maybe five or six under that as the season goes along. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Uh, good stuff as always. Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald. Hey, good luck for you two both on the under on the Matt Rule conference realignment question here, uh, <laughs> shortly after the show. Got big money on it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Evan. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. All right. There he goes. Evan Bland, uh, Always the best, always the best, the best in the business, best in the him, 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 Mullen, Bigelow. He's the reigning Nebraska sports writer of the year. If you didn't know that, I, I think we got to remind more people about it. You know, all right. Um, we will get to our thoughts on the over under Jeff Sims carries per game, whether or not he starts all twelve games this season. We'll look at that depth. We'll review what happened in the off season uh, and run down our quarterback preview. Plus some volleyball. And uh, watch season, watch list season news. Uh, when we get back here on the KLI and Husker Hour, stay with us. Giving you an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. If you missed our conversation with the Omaha World Herald's Evan Bland, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Just go to your favorite podcast app, search KLI and Husker Hour. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KLI and Huskers. We're right now live on Facebook with the video courtesy of Kenny Larrabee here in the studio. Not a joke. Evan Bland, every time he comes on here, is incredible. I mean, seriously. I mean, one of, no, I'm not. I'm, no, 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 I mean your, your, your answer. I'm laughing at your. <laughs> we didn't want that intelligent, no, nuanced we're all answer. About the headlines. We wanted hype. We wanted headlines. That's what I tell them. When we interviewed those players, they would tell us something juicy. I'd be like, that's the headline. There it is. Yeah. You know, Ty Robinson says there's a pound of meat at, uh, you know, barbecues and with the, the with best the D-line. ping pong player on the D line. Yeah. Them's fighting words for some other guys, I'm sure. Let's get the quarterbacks. Let's get going here. Let's do it. Yeah. So the, the nuts and bolts, uh, obviously. Bye bye to Casey Thompson, Logan Smothers. Bye bye is a nice way to put it. Richard Torres and Matt Masker. Those four guys on the roster last season, no longer with the team here in 2023. Two guys who are back Heinrich Harburg and Chuba Purdy. And then the newcomers. You've got the walk on Jack Walsh. Not sure how you say it exactly. Yeah, neither do I. W O C H E. And then the locked in QB1. Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. That's, right. that's your that's your QB. Review. Hot question out the box for you. Do it. Is Nebraska better at quarterback this year than they were last year? I will say yes, okay. and I will say because of the added QB run game element. Okay, because look, we'll get to this. It may compromise you in other situations because you could get your guy injured. But let's be honest, Casey Thompson got injured yeah. and he was not no. running the ball, so very, that can happen very regardless. Very good point. Very good point. Position. Yeah. And they were going to run it. They made it very clear they were going to run it no matter what, whether right. or not they had Sims or not. Right. They, they were going to do that. Yeah. So Thompson was going to have to run, at least for this offense. Yep. So so by adding that element, I mean, you you stress the defense in ways that a a drop back in the pocket going to distribute the ball and nothing more passer just does not stress you. You can get the numbers advantage, and if you know, if you've got a quarterback who's big and strong and who can read where that hole is, where it's developing, where to go with it, he can get you that third and short. He can extend the play and maybe find somebody downfield. He can hopefully take care of the football sure. in, in the red zone. Uh, so so those all are, are reasons why I would say, yes, they've upgraded because of the QB run element. Okay. Uh, Jeff, since freshman year, 
2020, he played 10 games, and I'm pretty sure that's the max amount he could have played. COVID freshman year, played eight games. Last year, he played seven games. He actually ended the season on a foot sprain. Mm. So, especially with this QB run game element, uh, I think that it's safe to say that more than likely, and this isn't like a hope or anything, this is just an observation, more than likely he's probably not going to play all 12 games this year, just based on, on, on earlier before. So my big question, I have two two big questions here with the quarterbacks, is I'm not worried about Jeff Sims. I'm not worried about the guy. I mean, the guy's got it. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the arm. Has he been able to put it together? No. And and I'll, we can get to that also on the back end of this, too, because Evan Bland said something very interesting that I kind of want to touch on a little bit later. But after Sims, where do you go? Because Chubba Purdy was was not good last year. It's just a fact. He was not good. Now, if Chubba Purdy figured out how to manage the pocket and how to step up in the pocket, I think Chubba Purdy could be a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. Really, seriously, there were a lot of moments last year where he decided to kind of come out of the pocket and run around and scramble and put himself in terrible situations as opposed to just kind of taking a couple steps up and really... Taking Maneuver a couple, the pocket. Maneuvering the pocket is such a nuanced thing, but it's a veteran thing, too. Yeah. The guys who don't have a ton of experience, like Chubba Purdy, want to run away. They want to get to space instead of managing the space in front of them. You want to know why Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in, in the NFL? It's because he can manage the pocket like no, no other. And then, when he gets in trouble, he gets out of there. Heinrich Harburg hasn't played a game for Nebraska. Those are your two options. You got one guy who didn't play well last year. You got another guy who's never played a, a game for Nebraska. So the and also too, Harburg not only hasn't played a game, he was buried last year yeah. on the depth chart by yeah. Joseph and Frost. And now all of a sudden it seems like he's QB too. So that's that's my big question. Who's next up? Because I don't know. I've heard different things from different people in terms of who's next in that pecking order and how do they perform. My next question is. Do you think they'll just throw Harburg in and just have him run the ball? Because he said, Harburg said he was one of the fastest guys the, on the team and team, one of the best athletes. coaches have said that as well. That he's one of the fastest guys. What are the chances that... You put them both in the field the same play? No, it's just like second and five, week six against Minnesota. Oh, like a Harburg package. And a Harburg package. I'd be I'd be really interested in that. I wouldn't be surprised if they did it because they they keep saying that they want to run with the quarterback, yeah. but rules said specifically we don't just want to give Jeff three or four yards. Harburg's not playing. I mean, they did it with Logan Smothers last year. Yeah. I mean he almost fumbled the ball against Georgia Southern, but they did it with him last year. They did year. it with Luke McCaffrey as well. Yeah. I'm interested to see if they do that. Those are my two big questions. Who's who's the next up? And how viable are they? And do we see a Harburg package? Because that'd be very interesting to me. I think that'd be a nice little wrinkle there. I think you may have answered your own question with that, because okay. I think there's more likely a Harburg package than a Chubba Purdy package, which would lend you to believe sure. that Harburg is maybe ahead of Purdy just because well, of the skill set. Just if, could be. If nothing else. If nothing else. The fact no. that he has that dimension to his game will allow him to have a leg up in that backup QB race, because... Even so, let's say Jeff Sims gets injured in a the, uh, the game in in a third quarter, and it's a seven point game, winning or losing, whatever. I if you don't necessarily trust either one of those guys to throw it a lot, sure, 
and Harburg has a clear advantage in the run game, I think that gives you a clear advantage on the depth chart. Is my point. I think I think I think Harburg is your guy for athleticism alone. If it, if there's not a separation in the pass game between Purdy and Harburg, which Purdy, like we said, really struggled doing that last year. Not sure what Harburg will be like when the lights come on, but the athleticism and the speed, the run game capability, I think will separate him from Purdy and get him that number two job. Just yeah. my opinion. I mean, no, I completely agree with you, but here's my thing. I got a little, I, I know inside baseball here, I've been asking. This has been one of my number one questions, Absolutely people I know. have been. I've been asking, who's two? Who's number two? I get, I get no straight answer. I get zero straight answer. I get I one one guy the next day, the one guy the other day. I have no clue. I got no clue who the backup is. And with just Jeff Sims' style of play and what they're calling and his injury history, I think that's such an important question that you people don't really ask themselves who's my backup quarterback and is he viable during the offseason? That's just not something you, you talk in every football fan's mind, their quarterback is playing every single game this year. You'd be shocked to know that's really not the case that often. You know the last time Nebraska quarterback started Give it to all me. 12 games? That's why I love you. Give it to me. Yeah, guess? Uh, 2012. Close. 2014. Okay. okay. Tommy Armstrong's sophomore season. Gotcha. It's last hey. time a Nebraska quarterback started every game in the regular season. I know. And they played in a bowl game that year, too, by the way. <laughs> it's weird, huh? I know. Yeah. I know. I know we got to go in a second, but... Evan Bland said something very interesting about Jeff Sims. He yeah. goes, he was at Georgia Tech, and he was kind of undermanned. I heard that, too. It's not, it's not like he's overmanned. <laughs> I immediately saw the same thing. I was like, <laughs> like what the heck is he on this offense? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're undermanned at a few spots. Yeah, like I, yeah. you know, that, Evan was absolutely correct, but it's, it's not like Nebraska is just blossoming <laughs> with a lot of right. offensive talent. I mean, you and I have both said that they got two number two wide receivers on their team. And one of them's so, in a cast. And one of them's in a cast now <laughs> with, with apparently a broken bone in his uh. hand. That is yeah. gonna be okay. I don't know. I don't think broken bones are good. <laughs> I just you hope those, you hope those freshman receivers can. There's pop, a lot of little stuff that's going. A lot of little things that are being looked over in this uh, fall camp. We got Evans' answer. I want to get yours. Over under twelve and a half carries per game from the quarterback. I'll position. take the under. Let's set a better line though. Seven. See, I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over on twelve and a half. I'm not saying really. I'm not saying design runs. Oh, you're thinking scrambles. I'm, what he, what's on the stat sheet at the end of the game? Is he going to have thirteen carries per game? Like, let's say, in a theoretical world, that Jeff Sims is healthy for all 12 games. Does he have 13 carries per game on average? I, you know what? I think he would I because he of would. the scrambling. I think he would. That counts. I'm not saying they're going to call yeah. that many. You know what I, I, I yeah. But I do think, though. Is that a better line now that you're thinking scrambles? No, no, not that I'm thinking scrambles, but also, too, like, Evan brought up a great point as well. Like, if this, this running back game ain't working, yeah, they're just going to rely on him, which, you know, but... Little, uh, I know. Let's get to a break, but a little inside baseball here. Cam Lenhart, he's the goods, looking really good. What about our guy P. Will? I haven't. I, I've just been told that people think that they need. Some people think that Cam Lenhart is an NFL type player. They need one of those guys to be able to contribute this season, if sure. possible. That's a really uphill battle for a defensive lineman as a true freshman in this conference. But if you can, sure. that will really help. I'll tell you right now, P. Will. Saw him at open practice. Grown man. Yeah. Grown man. Those are the types of dudes that you need to be recruiting to win in Big 12 grown, and in, in Big 10 football. Grown man. So props to this staff for, for getting each of those guys here in Absolutely. a very short cycle. 
early on. All right, uh, back with more after this, including some volleyball news. Don't worry, it's coming to all of you who are waiting for volleyball news. Uh, that's coming up right after this on the KLI Husker Hour. The rise of AI. New York City's new artificial intelligence law essentially requires companies that use certain AI, like chatbot tools or resume scanners in hiring, to prove their technology is not racist or sexist. Under NYC 144, companies have to run audits of those tools to prove they don't contain bias and then publish those results on their websites. They also have to let applicants know that they're using AI. If they don't comply, it's a $1,500 fine per day. 99% of Fortune 500 companies rely on talent sifting software, which is why BSA, the organization representing large software companies like Microsoft and Oracle, lobbied to reduce the reporting requirements of this law. One of their issues is that it creates a framework for just New York City when these companies operate in multiple cities. Supporters of this bill say it helps put guardrails on developing tech. I'm Madison Allworth, Fox News. Never miss the Huskers. Right here on 1499.3 KLIN. Also online, KLIN.com or through the free KLIN app. You can always tell Alexa to play 1499.3 KLIN. So there you go. When you think Huskers. Steps throws. Intercepted. Picked off. Intercepted with 15. And the Huskers have it inside the red zone. Think KLIN. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Let's finish up football uh, with watch list season again. Give it to me. We're here. Uh, You've got Ben Scott, Remington Trophy watch list, Husker Center. Who, speaking of a guy who looks lean and mean. Big. Even since spring, I saw somebody post that. Uh, Brian Buscini. Ray Guy Award. Boom. And uh, here you go. Marco Ortiz. Long <laughs> snapper. The Patrick Manley Award. You could have given me a million dollars to name that award. I wouldn't have been able to tell you until yesterday. <laughs> I, I, I love college season, football. Baby. No, I love college football. <laughs> I love college football. I also love the fact that like they were like, we need a long snapper award. Who was, who was good at his job? Patrick Manley, man. You never seen him snap. Let me tell you what, man. Give you give you a little Gruden, man. Let me tell you what, man. No one could snap the football like Patrick Manley, man. Uh, and then lastly for football, Garrett McGuire, Rob Dvoracek, Husker wide oh, yeah. receivers and linebackers coaches. Uh, they're on the 24-7 sports 30 under 30 list. So is that like the Forbes football? I mean, <laughs> McGuire could have been on the 25 under 25. 25 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have been, been, been on the 15 under 15 list. <laughs> All that's right. unfair. All that's right. unfair. That's unfair. He's great. He's yeah. great. I hey, like him a lot. Uh, Husker Volleyball. Uh, they had Big Ten Media Days for volleyball this week. And Merrick yeah. Beeson and Lexi Rodriguez out there with Coach Cook. Coach Cook just, he's holding court, even though they're they're picked second in the conference. I'm sure he loves that. He's like, hey, hey, you see you see, they don't respect you? They don't respect us? I I had to watch that entire press conference for ten eleven to Got cut to. stuff up. Got to. You had the opportunity. I will never forget this quote. It will, it will stand with me for the test of time. Volleyball knows no experience, and if a puppy bites, he will. If a if a if a if a puppy bites is a puppy, they will bite when they are a dog. Little little wisdom for you from John Cook. There you go. Awesome. And hey, uh, more volleyball. You want it, you got it. Uh, 20 of 29 of their regular season matches 
will be on TV or stream. That's awesome. As well. Uh, women's hoops and men's hoops are both overseas right now. The women are in Greece. Oh, my God. They won 101 to 49. Six not... players in double figures. We didn't talk about something. What? Aaron Eulis. We're getting there. Oh, okay. My we're bad. My bad. You He's just on my sparked list. my memory. All right. All right. My bad. Don't worry. Go. We were talking about gambling with you and Evan earlier. We'll get to that. <laughs> go. We'll get, we'll get to that. Go. Go, Stukenholtz. Go. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Alexis Markowski had the double-double. You've got a couple of the, the transfers being able to contribute. Uh, to be fair, Amy Williams' crew has more of a full roster out there than, than Fred Hoiberg is working with. Uh, right now, Nebraska men, they are 2-0 and with one game left to play, but they have... Only nine scholarship players available right now. Five of them have not played a single minute for Nebraska, and none of their players that they have available are taller than six foot seven. Yeah, that's great. So you have Bryce Williams, transfer from Charlotte, and Eli Rice, true freshman. Those two guys have led the team in scoring each of those first two wins. First one in overtime, second one, Eli Rice hit three free throws to win by three. Also, you've got a, a Nebraska walk on, Cale Jacobson from Ashland Greenwood who has played literally the one through the five at various points out there in Spain, and all of a sudden is making him... He could be the Sam Hoiberg of the 23-24 season, a walk-on that just comes out of nowhere and earns his playing time. I, I saw Kale play against Ogallala, and I think what the class... It's got to be 5A, 4A, 2A. I don't, I don't really know the high school classes of Nebraska. It's A, B, and then C1, C2, D1, D2. I think it was C1. Okay. 40 points. Yeah. Right in front of my face. Yeah, Interviewed good. him afterwards. Good player. Really good player. When I found out he was going to Nebraska, I immediately thought, this kid's going to find, he's going to find the court. And I'm not surprised that already, a year and everything, he, yeah. he might be well on his way to doing so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they've got one more. Uh, I don't have how many left uh, the women have in Greece, but uh, they're doing their thing overseas, getting ready for the season. So um, good on them. And then uh, we will have that Aaron Euless story. Uh, Husker transfer from Iowa. Uh, got a little... A little wrapped up in their gambling investigation uh, charges made uh, earlier this week. We'll tell you about that and wrap up the show. Get you ready for the week ahead here on the KLIN Husker Hour right after this. Husker football, basketball, baseball, and beyond. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. God bless parents. We got my mom on the Facebook Live chiming in to talk about volleyball, and now Matt's parents are ragging him for not knowing that Patrick Manley was a Chicago Bear, a legendary Chicago Bear. My my father, (laughs) great picture, by the way, of Patrick Manley. What a fitting last name. I mean, the guy looks, looks, he looks great. Uh, Manley, my dad goes, Patrick Manley from the Bears, 15 years in the league, best long snapper ever. The <laughs> longest tenured Bear in the history of the team. 16 years. Wow, that's great. That no one no one thought that that would happen today. Alright, give it to me, Stukenholz. Leave me to water. Alright, Aaron Euless. Iowa transfer point guard comes to Nebraska, uh, and earlier this year, Iowa and Iowa State athletes were essentially being named to be in an investigation about some some gambling charges. Uh, that stuff comes out this week in charges, and Aaron Euless has been charged in that case. Uh, over 1,800 bets. Uh, he used his older brother's information because Aaron was not yet 21. Yep, that's which is, illegal. Uh, illegal. Um, and as of right now, according to Fred Hoiberg, he is practicing with the team, will not play with the team until they know more 
from the NCAA about what exactly his eligibility is. They apparently knew that he had an eligibility concern in May, but apparently did not know this was after it. after he committed after, after he, he committed. signed yeah. after he signed yeah. they they knew that they got a call yeah. hey there might be an eligibility issue heads up <laughs> this this i don't even know if this is an eligibility issue this is like a like a like a well, legal issue well it is an eligibility because the NCAA no, it is it is it is but can you, bar you from playing NCAA basketball yeah no but i mean like i was trying to be sarcastic there. right no like, no it's yeah, true the, the guy he may have get, bigger problems he may have way Correct. bigger problems of whether or not he can play point guard for the huskers i mean yeah. and a lot of people are like well it's only 20 dollars a bet is this is what i saw on twitter like uh, you know did he bet something like thirty or forty thousand dollars over the course of those bets? Thirty-four thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. I mean, his bros in the NBA, you might have a hookup there, but in terms of money wise, Tyler, Tyler Eulis from T- Kentucky. Yes, they're brothers. Yes, I th- I didn't know Eulis spelled it with an H. Yeah, that was U L L I S. No, 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 no. All right. Well, yeah. I mean. So you don't, you, I, I mean, I don't know that he's going to see Look, the court. In, innocent, for, innocent, till, innocent till proven guilty. Yes. And, and we don't know what's going to happen. But if it ends up that he's not going to be eligible to play, they need to find a point guard. Real quick, you and I had a very contentious talk about cornerbacks and defensive backs during our position previews about yeah. whether or not who's going to play. The topic of our conversation mm. was Miles Farmer. It was. He is now gone. He gone. You, uh, you had him starting, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did not. And, and I think uh, he just kind of, Matt Rule kind of glossed on it. He's like, you know, you have standards when you have new coaches, and yeah. sometimes it's different, and it just didn't work, and it didn't work, and, you know, it is what it is. It is. Too bad. Uh, Miles Farmer gone, so uh, one less body in the secondary, and, uh, yeah, hopefully Joshua Fleeks, Jacob Hood, those guys can get back with the team, and Marcus Washington uh, get that arm healed up as well. All right, uh, more to come. We've got a, a full roster breakdown coming later this week as well. They just told us right away that we're going to house you, we're going to feed you, and every single one of his medical bills is just all taken care of. They've saved my family from financial ruin. It allowed me and my wife both to focus on the most important thing, which was the health and well-being of our son. We have phenomenal research, outstanding clinical care, and the generosity of public, which allow us to treat patients regardless of what it takes. And that's what makes St. Jude so magical. At St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world. When we come here, they told me, don't worry, everything's been taken care of. We could never repay St. Jude for what they've given us. Because of you. Gracias a ti. Because Because of of you. you. There is St. Jude.